When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Writer's Room, where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cesario. Chemistry can absolutely kill a show, and then everything else grinds to a halt until that chemistry is sorted out. And if that doesn't get sorted out quickly, yeah, quick. and, that, and that needs executives to be on board to shuffle cast around or whatever. And, and you're, the odds are, are astronomical that you can survive bad chemistry. Even looking at Raymond, I mean, there was a best friend character in the pilot um, that, that he, that poor guy, you know, I've been in that situation too, where he was let go after the pilot, no, no fault of his own, but uh, I think Phil realized and Ray realized, well, the brother, plays you're going to say everything you need to say to your brother that you could say to your best friend and in fact like to fight through sibling rivalry to say those things means that when you say those nice things it's going to mean more you know that became the trick of that show like you know you know there are casualties to uh a writing process that that needs to see things on its feet as well it's not just um computer and page yeah you got to get that writing to live and then you go oh my goodness we do not need the baker and his wife at all no i've been going around and around with the uh with my chat bot on his pilot and uh he how's he, that going no he's missing a lot of stuff i mean it all feels like every great show but he's just doesn't really have the jackie gleason slash dick van dyke slash mary tyler moore character nailed yet I'm going to say he just needs to find the right venue. That's where I'm going with it. I'm going to be supportive of your chat. So this is a wonderful opportunity for me to ask someone who really knows. I'm talking to Lou Schneider, um, uh, whose essentially initial big experience in sitcom writing was Everybody Loves Raymond. This latter, writer, supervising producer, co-exec, exec. What we see at home is a successful show. And if we're paying even moderate attention to the credits, we see a name move up over the course of years right? and come that person. And at home you go, oh, that person got some, uh, they, they he must have done great work and they just threw him up the ladder. <laughs> but, but this is sort of a hard earned, you know, this is, this is a uh, boot camp in the mud ladder this isn't i'm going to go fix my gutters nice ladder this just takes some work to climb this ladder yeah it does on raymond it took less work than i would say on the goldbergs uh um on raymond the show became such a well-oiled machine that we just all moved up as as the years went on and and they were counting on us to write hits after the show which we never did um some some people did. I did not. 
Um, we had deals. I moved on to other shows and, you know, to burn off my deals. But, uh, but you know, it's like they had, they couldn't hide the money anymore. They had to pay us all because the show was making so much money. And, and we, you know, the only power you ever have in showbiz is the power to say, no, we're not, you know, I'm not coming back. But they didn't want to mess with what we had going. And we weren't asking for such incredible money. I mean, so they just said, okay, we can, we, you can come back for that amount. They figured out a, a number that all, that worked for everybody and everybody came up and, and it came with a bump in title. So that happened on the Goldbergs. I was really, you know, I'd gone back to sort of square one and, and I, you know, was running the set on that, you know, as the, as the EP on set, the, the showrunner did not, it was a single camera show. I moved from multi-cam to single cam and I was really working hard on that set and uh, sort of wrangling the actors a little bit and uh, eventually became the uh, producing director on that show because it would have been redundant for me to do my job and still have a director. So they just said, why don't you direct? So that's what happened there. So, Wow. That is not common. I don't think. No, not, not so common, not, not, not so common, but it was a great experience. I mean, it gave me a chapter three of my life, you know, so. Right. That's a very uh, serpentine route to get somewhere. Also the notion that you are the EP on set yeah, and the showrunner isn't necessarily there in, uh, in most situations in commonality, mm-hmm. the showrunner is usually on set at least. Yeah, uh, he, he did not like fair to majority to... of time. He didn't want to go to set. Uh, he, it's just he had too much going on. He was he was always he spent a lot of time in editing. He was constantly trying to rewrite the show in editing, and he had he had to break stories. And he liked to have his hand in everything. And the one area where he felt like he couldn't sort it wasn't worth his time was to sit through take after take after take. Right, and and, and he he would be the kind of guy who would change stuff so much from take to take. And I was, I could change things just a little. He gave me license to, you can put whatever jokes you want. And after you get the ones that are in the script, you can do whatever you want. So right. I was very happy to do that. I mean, you pay the price. If you send crap upstairs, they'll say, stop doing it. So I was always a little fearful about rocking the boat too much, but, uh, but I did change a lot. I mean, and then once I was directing, I could always make, make changes. That um, Well, that's, that's a, a sheds light on a, on a very important, element to what we're talking about this ladder here the responsibility can increase as you go up this ladder mm-hmm. oftentimes on a well-oiled machine perhaps it's a little bit more of a of a uh, you know uh, a british monarchy title mm-hmm. your title's just changing and essentially right. you're doing the same thing right. you're writing you're sitting in a room with other guys you're cranking scripts but in a lot of environments that that responsibility increases Maybe, maybe it was, maybe that's something to do with the fact that it was a multi, it was a single cam or it was just this show. But yeah, on, on the Goldbergs, I feel like those guys who are, who are EPs on that show, uh, they earn their stripes. They are, they can be counted on to do any number of things, edit the show, break stories, uh, run a joke room, run the set. Like they have chops and they've all spent years doing this. So you're like, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely what you're alluding to, which is in most, in, in those cases, it's absolutely like you've just done the time and you, you yeah. know, it's like, you know how they talk about for athletes, how the game slows down for the EPs, the game slows down. You can tell right away. Oh, let's not panic about this. This is not a writing problem. We're not going to write our way out of this. This is a staging problem. This is, or this is, this is the story is broken here. We're not going to spend time 
uh, we're going to cut this in editing. We can go from here to here. Let's not spend a lot of time rewriting and shooting this because we know where the cut is in this show. So, right. so that was, and, and EPs, EPs should know that. And they do know that on that show. That's impressive. Uh, and a great description of it. it the, the game slows down. Mm-hmm. You get to a point where you can think with three different caps on at the same time and make the decision for the big cap. The mm-hmm. one where you know you're going to be sitting in a room with network execs yeah, going, is the show good or bad? And you can work your priority list backwards in lightning speed to be able to turn to somebody. And then the trick is to do it benevolently. Yeah, and <laughs> turn to somebody and go, hang on, good idea. Table that. We'll get to it probably tonight about 11. Yeah. Meantime, we'll do this. You know, that whole, that's a skill and then to be a good human being during it, that's not, that's not easy. It doesn't, doesn't always happen that way. And it's really funny to watch. I, I, my heart goes out to actors. Again, you talked about having, you know, having been, been there and done that. Like when, it, when an actor would say, we've already said this three times on this page and, and why, and, 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 you know, you know, you know, you have a whole day with that actor coming up and like, this is nine in the morning. And now like we've been there two hours already. And now this person's feeling exhausted and you know, you need them later. And what I would try to say sometimes is like, you know, you talk about that triage, you say, look, we're only going to choose the funniest version of these three jokes. So don't worry. Give me give me a full swing at all of these. I promise you're only going to see one. And I'm only going to make you do this. If you can, it's like talking to it's like when you have a plan for a class or something, you say, we're only I'm only going to do this one more time because we have to get to X, Y and Z. So they shouldn't feel like I mean, if you can talk to people and communicate and tell them what's coming. And it's the same thing for a showrunner when they're writing. We're not going to spend more. If you tell people we're going home at six, we're only going to spend five more minutes on this scene. You'll be surprised how much work you get in that five minutes, as opposed to like, I don't know when we're going home. Right. Right. So it's not just necessarily a benevolence or be a showrunner's um, desire to get home to see his kids. Although those are both elements. It's also, there is uh, reward in structured discipline. You say, look, we have seven minutes on this. We got to move on after that. Mm-hmm. Give me your best. Mm-hmm. That's or, or, yeah, because there is that sense of, you know, in TV, it's so short now. It's like, you could, you'd be surprised at what you, what you can cut. You're like, you think, oh, we absolutely need this. No, we don't. We cut it. The audience doesn't, the audience never knows what they didn't see. Yeah. We know because we were there and it's too bad. Sometimes you, sometimes you're cutting you're cutting, you know, you have to kill your babies. You're watching, you're watching the funniest thing and you think, ah, too bad. No one will ever see this. It'd be a hell of a rap party. Yeah. (laughs) Spike Ferriston uh, uh, shared some great advice, which was shoot on set with the notion that you are the one in the editing room editing it. Yeah. That's the way you shoot. Great advice. You know, because then you real, if you put on that editor's cap for just two minutes, you can step back and go, Oh God, we really don't need that at all. And we really need to spend more time getting three takes of that. Yeah. And and nowadays with voiceovers and like, I mean, if you watch Modern Family, the talking head, they can always there's a device there. We had voiceover on the Goldberg. So you'd get you'd get you could cut a whole scene with a voiceover from Patton Oswald. I mean, he could say, right. you know, he could tell you what you missed in a in a funny way. If someone could write you a funny voiceover, you've saved yourself, you know a minute or two of screen time, you can, you can spend that time, spend that space wisely somewhere else. Let's go to the unbelievable 
gap filled, I should say, filled by an unbelievable show between Everybody Loves Raymond and the Goldbergs, which is men of a certain age. Oh, that is just why. First of all, working with Andre Brower. Come on. Terrifying. Terrifying. It has to be. That's this where is, I learned. This is one of the world's brilliant actors. That's where I learned. That's where I learned how to work on set. Mike would send me down to set. There were a couple of us who would. You would. If you were the writer of the episode, you went to set. But then in in that in that pay structure, we were we got rid of sort of half of our writing staff after a certain number of weeks, and then there were a few of us left, and we went, and then it was left to a couple of us to handle set all the time. So I was down there a lot. And Andre Brower struck fear into my heart. I'd be screwing around, having my second cup of tea, looking at the crossword, and I'd get the, those terrible words, Andre would like to see you on set. And then I'd have to go in there. And he would say, and he was always super, super respectful. So he would say, um, you know, I treat this as holy writ, holding the script in his hand. I treat this as holy writ. I want to get it exactly right. And I said, oh, of course. And he said, uh, it says I enter and I put my keys on the counter. Yep. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that a, a person might do that. Said, well, wait. Why would I take the keys from my pocket and put them on the kitchen counter? Wouldn't I go into the bedroom and put my keys on my nightstand? And I would draw a deep breath and say... A, a, a very reasonable place to put keys, Andre. You're absolutely right. However, I think you're so interested in the mail. He says, it doesn't say that I'm interested in the mail. No, but you're going to be interested in the mail because we're going to put mail. And then he would think he'd ruminate for a second. And sometimes he was buying my jive and sometimes he wasn't. But he would, so there's going to be mail, plenty of mail with important information in it. And it's true, because maybe that was in the script. Like, he finds out. So this is where I find out that we're selling the car dealership? Yes, in the mail. You don't get, once, once you, so I don't care about the keys out there. You don't. And tomorrow morning, you'll pick up the keys. When we come back in, leave the keys there all night. They'll be fine. And you kind of think about it. All right. And so, wow. so I would then go back and slink away and hope he didn't catch me on some other thing that I'd done wrong. That's so great. That's so great. And such a great lesson in terms of both writing and producing. Certainly there are times, especially in comedy, where you kind of cut bait, especially late in the process, and you just go, let's get to the gag. Let's. This is what's key here. But overall, it's so impressive when you approach it from a great actor's standpoint can I tell you one more thing? Yeah, Listen, absolutely. You know, that show was such a fun show to write. I thought I was going to, it was about three men sort of reaching a stage in their lives where their kids were like out of, their kids were in school. It's and a brilliant show. I just loved it. And it was it, like in the way that Raymond was my life when, when I was writing that one, my kids were in that, those exact ages. So too were the kids in, in Men of a Certain Age. I was like, I get this. I'm going to work. This show's never going to end. I can't wait to write on this for the rest of my life and never write anything else. And they got canceled and I was brokenhearted. But anyway, Andre Brower one time, because Ray loved to improvise and Bacula was like to improvise. And Andre came from a much more text driven background, but he was, he was willing to play. So they're in this diner set and Ray is chast- uh, Ray's character. Joe is, ca- is chastising this uh, Bacula's character, Terry. He says, cause Terry was always, always had a lot of women going on. He said, man, Ray goes, if I were your your if I were your penis, I'd hire a, 
I'd hire a defense attorney. And so I fed Andre the line. Uh, if his, if his penis can talk, why doesn't it speak? Why doesn't it represent itself? Represent itself. And I, so I pitched Andre, he laughed and they were, okay, let's roll. And Axe Andre goes, hold it, hold it, hold the roll. I go in and what's the matter? He goes, wait, wait a minute. So we're saying his penis can talk. Andre says, we're saying his penis talks. So his penis has hired. Do we understand that the penis can talk? I mean, yes. Well, how else could he hire an attorney? He have to talk. Well, all right. I just don't feel coming. You know what? Forget it. At that point, we didn't have time. Forget it. Penis doesn't talk. Ray, say your line. Andre, just eat your sandwich. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. We've killed the patient. Once you've opened that joke, once you've opened that. that oh, God. No, the oh, explanation drawer. No, You're no, sunk. Forget it. Forget it. The penis doesn't represent itself. We're done. Yeah. It, it's like the uh, when you get a bad answer on a game show, you just. Yeah. That's the that's the noise the explanation drawer makes on a joke. The explanation drawer is open. Okay, just kill the joke. Uh, I remember on Sanders, the only modest equivalent I have to that is um, the great Rip Torn. Yes, played Artie on Larry Sanders. Of course, unbelievable. Um, you know that show was uh, it was approached as a drama from a writing standpoint. Yeah, and then just all the humor just just bubbled up. It came from character, yeah. And, I, I, you know, there's so many writers, myself included, who you write so long and hard on, quote unquote, regular or mainstream sitcoms. And you write pilots and you write spec scripts in which you know you have to lead executives by the hand through the process. So you are writing a lot of what they call parentheticals. Mm-hmm. Someone will have a uh, dialogue, but before they speak the dialogue, you'll include parenthetically frustrated mm-hmm. or doubting or laissez-faire or whatever you write. You write some sort of Little hint. clue to the emotion of the actor, mostly for the executive reader of the script. <laughs> now, flash forward ripped torn in a room who is who is you know the andre brower of that stage screen england that you know uh, shakespeare uh, you know the 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 actor studio the depth of experience is crazy there were never any parentheticals in any of the sanders scripts no it's not one sneaks through one sneaks through yeah and it's an arty line and he's reading, and uh, he goes, uh, I notice here, it says uh, parenthetically before my speech, miffed, oh, you know, or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> and he goes, and the line was only like, how nice, I think was the line. Yes, yes. And he goes, all right, then let me try it. How nice. Was that miffed? Enough. Oh. And he just will not let it go for about five more of these exchanges. And every writer in the room is just withering in their seats. And some poor writer's assistant whose job it was to proof the script and make sure that no parenthetical got through and onto right. Rick Now he, that, that poor person is taking a train back to Olathe, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
So, oh my God, these uh, working with great actors, though, what an unbelievable uh, treat and a, a great lesson for, well, for also, every other aspect of showbiz. You know, the other story about parentheticals is Kevin Sorba. Kevin Sorbo on Hercules, supposedly, uh, not quite the thespian uh, that Rip Torn is, uh, would, he did not understand the concept of the parenthetical. And he read, he said, enraged, not going to do it. Like he read the parenthetical as a part of the line. Boy, there is the yin and the yang of acting right there. Yeah. Yep. All right, we're running out of time. I know you got a heart out. Um, but I love room stories. What sticks out to you? Uh, incredibly cool and incredibly painful. Any oh, of your experiences? Okay. Any well, of them? Right, a couple. Well, one of the funniest things that ever happened in a writer's room for me was, I mean, I love room bits anyway, but I'm not going to talk about that. What was one time we were doing a show on Raymond that was an episode called Lucky Soup. And the, the, uh, the, the premise of that episode was that Robert Ray's brother had been a longtime New York cop and he was going to apply for a job with the FBI. The great Brad Garrett. Brad Garrett. Is, and so on the day of his interview, uh, he's going to go, but, uh, his mom, Doris Roberts, irons his suit. And because Ray comes over with some good news or something, she leaves the iron on the back of, of Robert's suit. And this really happened to uh, our uh, Tucker Cawley. His dad ran a law firm and someone had interviewed at the law firm and done a bad job at the interview. And it turned out that his mom, the guy who's had the interview, his mom had ruined his lucky suit. So Brad was wearing his lucky suit, but he had a bad burn on the back of it and and he was out of sorts so maybe he i can't even remember he maybe he wore a different suit or he was mortified so he couldn't wear a suit anyway so that was the premise we get a call in the room that 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 script goes out to casting for who is going to play the fbi agent that's a great part who's going to play this sort of severe and we get a call from john voigt in the writer's room and we get that uh john voigt on one for phil and phil's like shut up you shut up and Hello. Hi. Nice. To, hello. Yes. Hi. Nice to meet that. Nice to meet you on the phone. I, and, and he, uh-huh. Yes. For the FBI agent, uh, we would be honored. Oh no. Well, it's not exactly what we were thinking. We were, and we we're hanging like, obviously Phil's now in a conversation with, he doesn't want to have with John Boyd. What, what's going on? What's going on? He hangs. And he goes, okay. Well, let us take a look. Let us take a look. Okay, thank you. Definitely. Okay, yes, you'll be hearing from us. Hangs up the phone. Just goes, he's crazy. What happened? John Voigt wanted to play the FBI agent, but he wanted to play him as special agent John Voigt. He wanted to still be John Voigt, but <laughs> like when Elvis was, he wanted Elvis was a special agent, special drug DEA agent, and but he was special DEA agent Elvis Presley. So oh, wow. to be special agent John Voight. Wow. Uh, so that 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 was one. That's that just- an incredible moment. I also love the moment where Ray has to shush what is essentially a room full of children. Well, Phil had to do it. Phil, 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 Phil I mean, Phil oh. uh, to, to to who are yeah. whose whole going life is built around catcalling each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, shut up, and I mean it. I am John Voight on the. 
well, also this is before the, this is before the internet. We used to do a thing. There was one guy in the room who would make these audacious claims that certain things were true and we couldn't check online. So I, I couldn't sit with it. So I go, no, you know what? You're wrong. You're wrong. That's not what happened. And, and so I would call. So one time this guy claimed that Meerschaum pipes were made of batshit, uh, that they were made of guano and Meerschaum are those pipes that they're made of, they look like ivory kind of. And so, well, I can't look it up. So now I got to call the tinderbox and I have to play the TV card. I'm calling it tobacconist in Santa Monica. And I'm, hi, yes, my name's Lou Schneider. I'm doing some research for a television program. Perhaps you've heard of very little Raymond. And the guy's like, yeah, yes. Um, excuse me, are Meerschaum pipes made of a bat droppings? Click. Okay. See, Jeremy, the guy just hung up on me. He's like, doesn't mean that they're not. Doesn't mean that they're not. I'm like, shut up. And this would go on for hours, hours. Like we'd, we'd get in these fights over shit like that. So that was, you do anything in the writer's room to waste time. And, and if it means calling the a, a police department to find out about a guy or that you'd read about in the paper or a meerschaum pipe uh, or, the, or the tobacconist, whatever it was. So all that shit was fun. We, we, we Is there a beauty in that or a usefulness in that, in that it can loosen up writers it can take their conscious mind off of the problem and allow their subconscious mind to kind of mull I, it I over hope, you know that we always said you know sometimes you'd pitch and pitch and then you'd have lunch and then you, like you'd be in a bad area or you'd, an area you couldn't crack and sometimes the answer was you'd eat lunch and you realize oh we don't need that area and sometimes you know i'd be pitching and then we'd do something and i we'd screw around or yell at each other or spin our wedding rings and you know like try to see who could spin their wedding ring the longest by flicking it with their fingers and then I'd come up with, or someone would come up with a joke and Phil would yell, where was that an hour ago? And I was like, I don't know, bottom of the pile. Who knows? Like, you don't know when it's going to come up, you know, but you have to step away. You know, it's that. <laughs> I love that the stress release. Yeah, so much. So in much. a room is spinning way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, you know. I, because look, there's I an unspoken uh, thing there, which is nobody tells any of our spouses this. Right. Oh, well, that's we did that show because Ray used to spin his wedding ring all the time and he spun the ring one time and it went down a uh, an air conditioning duct in the floor. No. Not in not in the Raymond Ryder's room. This really happened to him. So he was very careful about where he spun it. And so I'll tell I've told this story before, but we we I took my family skiing one time and we were in Mammoth uh, and we we our room wasn't ready. But they said, you can use the hot tub at this lodge. OK, great. So we all went down there and I had all my stuff in my, you know, with us and including my car keys, which were in my jeans. And as we got on the elevator to go to our room, um, I was I was getting, you know, ran, you know, hurting my kids in the elevator. And I my my pocket spilled out and my keys fell between the door of the elevator and oh, no. the, and the floor, like the floor we were getting on in the elevator. So it dropped down the elevator shaft five stories on on good friday and there's not a lot of people coming up to to work in the elevator shaft that week and elevator uh repairman notoriously catholic right right. they're not coming they're observing i'm screaming and yelling and and shrying and saying i can't believe this happened to me i can't believe we can't get in our car all our ski stuff is in there i can't my wife says well look at it this way this is great for a story this is a great episode and i said no it isn't didn't you watch the show three weeks ago where Ray spun his wedding ring and it went down the air conditioning grate? Don't you watch it? So this isn't something we can use. This is just something shitty that happened. <laughs> well, that's comedy. Timing is everything. Um, I guess the unbelievable Lou Schneider, who has to pop right off this onto another 
uh, podcast or something, some sort of Zoom meeting. Let's call Very it. Cool. Let's make it more important than a podcast. Yes, I'm. I'm, I'm pitching uh, at the network level. I'm, I'm um, trying to. Uh, I'm, I'm putting together a list of books that are being unbanned. I'm. I'm very busy with that. Fantastic. We <laughs> are going to do this again because we have not even tapped the unbelievable font of stories that has to be Doris Roberts. So, oh, oh that's a font. And, and also, I want to dive into the Goldbergs a little more next time. And so we'll do this again in six months or something because uh, too much fun. Lou, thank you so much for doing it. I miss you, Jeff. It's great to talk to you. I miss you, buddy. See you, pal. Thank you.